Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone on this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Today I'm super happy to be with Simon Spati. Simon, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. So, uh, amazing episode ahead. I have so many questions uh, in this episode. So, quick reminder to everyone, Let's Talk AI. We talk about data and AI with experts. Um, and we go deep into technical details, but um, we can go on many subjects. And today we have Simon. Simon... Uh, is um, amazing at data engineering, uh, open source data engineering. He's writing a boot. Uh, he have uh, amazing uh, work experiences um, and many more things that we're going to to approach in this episode, um, including uh, second minds or tools for productivity and so on. So uh, this is a very overall uh, vision of what's going to be in this episode. But um, thanks for being on the show. Um, so maybe the first question that I would like to ask you is um, basically, how would you describe yourself in a few in a few words? Um, I would say I'm a technical author and data engineer and educator. So that's my one-liner. If you want to go a little bit longer, then uh, yeah, I'm also Swiss, living in a lived in Copenhagen for three years and uh, two months in Bali. And uh, yeah, I'm a product productivity nerd and. Uh, yeah, lots of interest in Vim and websites and note taking. Yeah, awesome. Uh, this uh, you you said three months in Bali. So like, did you go like for the slow mad uh, slow mad thing? And uh, yeah, and it was like a co living. So it was uh, when I was in Copenhagen, I wanted to try uh, another experience. So there was like this uh, Bali co living mm-hmm. and co working. Uh-huh. And then yeah, I, I give it a try and uh, try to build up some data engineering data warehouse automation tools. I was there for two months, but the second month was basically traveling. So, mm. but uh, yeah, it was like, it was two nice months. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've heard, I've heard some people saying that, uh, when working from Bali, uh, the productivity is lower. Um, I would say definitely you work less because you need to have this, uh, the good coffee and the good breakfast, and then you need to serve <laughs> and then you yeah. need to do all of this. <laughs> right. But maybe you're also more, I was more creative there, I would say, because you, mm-hmm. you're around like, like-minded people, you are, uh, you're doing different things. So, and you're in a different place. Normally mm-hmm. when I'm in a different place, I'm also more creative mm-hmm. and, uh, but yeah, maybe a bit more effective, but definitely overall probably uh, worked a little bit less or mm. much less. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Second questions. I would like to ask you about, um, what you're doing right now. So. What are you trying to achieve? Uh, it can be professionally, um, it can be personally, it can be with the book, uh, it can be anything, but what are you trying to achieve right now, today? Uh, I always have my two to five years goals. And uh, one of that is I would like to be a, like a full-time author, um, writing for myself. That would be the dream, but I'm not sure if that happens. But still, 
I like data engineering so much, so I would always like to code. I also believe the more you work with the data and the more you're still active, the more you can also write. Right. So uh, I think that goes hand in hand. And um, yeah, also just pushing the open source journey and uh, yeah, writing about it. And uh, so that's my, and obviously I have a family, so uh, that's also a big goal in my personal life. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. But, awesome. Uh, uh, amazing. So third question, and um, uh, this is kind of my three uh, opening questions, but now that we know a little bit um, better what you're trying to achieve in, uh, in a brief description, could you share maybe a retrospective of what you've, be, what you've been doing in the field? So we know that you're writing a book, uh, we know that you've been doing data engineer for some time, but can you share maybe some key experiences, um, what you learned on those moments and like... Uh, take us through your journey uh, as a, as a growing open source mm -hmm. data engineering and, and all the, the projects that came along. Yeah, it's actually, uh, there were many phases and I didn't plan ahead of time. So I just yeah, started with an apprenticeship, which is mm -hmm. very, it's also something that is very special to Switzerland. Instead of going to high school, like in 10th grade, I guess, you, mm -hmm. you start working mm -hmm. and then you already have experience, right? That's also why I have already like 20 years of work experience because I already started working with um, 18 years old or so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's uh, that was the first thing. And then I worked at a big bank. So I had the old experience with the big Oracle databases, warehouses. Uh, that's where I slowly got into the data field. And then I switched to consulting for four years. And there the demand for Microsoft um, BI was more um, requested. So I switched to Microsoft BI with analysis server, SSIS. So lots of clicking, <laughs> mouse clicking, because everything is like, uh, um, configured with, uh, yeah, with a UI. So that was, uh, where I got a little bit, um, branded or kind of, uh, had that feeling. That's also maybe later why I, I loved open source because uh, there you're kind of locked in into you a tool that pain. you, yeah, <laughs> you felt the pain. Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and then I, I, I switched completely. So I, I got, uh, went abroad to Copenhagen and uh, I was uh, mainly to like learn English and have a different experience, uh, learn a different culture. And I learned all of this, but I learned more about myself than anything else. <laughs> but uh, maybe that also later. But uh, yeah, there I worked at a subsidiary of Airbyte. Airbus and um, there also got into big data, was it called at that time? So it's... Uh, uh, they, for example, they bought some uh, flight radar 24 data to uh, worth of two years. And then uh, everybody flew to Toulouse and then data scientists and data engineering trying to get uh, insights out of this data. So that was my first really uh, touch point to Python and uh, how to work differently than with SQL or uh, TSQL or PLSQL I was used to in uh, Microsoft or Oracle. So um, that was quite cool. And then, yeah, that's also when I started to write. So uh, every Friday evening, I took a big coffee. I went to the library, which is a very beautiful building in Copenhagen. Mm. And I just started uh, writing what I learned at the job. And uh, yeah, that's was a, in retrospective, that was a key point in my life because that's what I'm known now for, I guess. But um, yeah, I moved back to Switzerland and did the full data engineering thing with Kubernetes and all the open source uh, stack and uh, and after three years three and a half I think 
almost four. I moved to Airbyte, which is the like the data integration tool in America. I was the only Swiss there, worked fully remote. And basically I was a full-time or like a, I was a professional writer there because my job was a technical author and a data engineer. So I did kind of both, but most of the time was spent writing. And that was a really a nice experience to, to feel how it is to write as a professional. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then wanted to start my book, which I kind of felt I want to do also a little bit more for myself. So uh, going back to uh, a data engineering job mm-hmm. and uh, doing more data engineering or building an open data platform now currently and doing the writing on myself. So that's the stages I went through. It's, uh, yeah. And now, yeah, writing the book and uh, trying to learn data engineering even more. Yeah, <laughs> Even more than than <laughs> what you already learned, which is uh, impressive. Well, a very, very impressive background. I could have a hundreds of questions just from that. Um, I'd like to ask you afterwards uh, your experience at um, Airbytes. Um, it is a very, uh, I mean, all your experiences are very impressive. Um, the fact that you are the only Swiss person there working remotely, I think if you if you mention that, but mm-hmm. that's um, uh, that's a that's a very uh, impressive and awesome. Uh, maybe I I'll, I'll just go straight forward to. Uh, like kind of technical question and then i would like to ask you about the data stack modern data stack but um mm-hmm. with all your experience in open source data engineering um my question would be uh like what are the most um the most seen design patterns that you faced uh, with your experiences or would you say that it really depends on use cases or like there are like many use cases that then toward specific uh, patterns like do you have some insights regarding what you've seen i guess two comes to mind it's like one thing i started very early on and also one thing i will heavily discuss in my book is uh, materialized views it's kind of the first thing i used in uh, oracle databases where you it's basically you have a sql a huge sql and then you materialize it in in a persistent storage so you can query it like in seconds instead of waiting half an hour or 20 minutes depending on how big the data is Mm -hmm. and i guess over the years i always see the same pattern again it's just uh, called differently so if you think about dbt which is a uh, one of the biggest tools open source tool to like use or manage sql Mm -hmm. essentially it's the same right you also you have sequels and then you persist them again in tables Mm -hmm. It's just more managed, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a fancy materialized view. And then now we have also semantic layers, which is kind of a, a layer that is more built into the BI tool. And you have like the KPIs and metrics defined. But if it's slow or you need to cache again, so it's like I would think about this materialized view back then because it's uh, yeah we we just. Usually how it starts, you create a big query that that gives you the, the, the business values or the KPIs you want, but then uh, it, it's too slow and then you need to make it fast. And the easiest way is just to like store it locally. So that, that that's a recurring pattern and also the initial thoughts that started my book. So, um, and uh, another one is also 
it's also recently more in the news or in the blogs and written about is data modeling because uh, before with the modern data stack i i believe you you just pick your tools and you don't model that well anymore you you kind of model tools instead of data or the flow of the data so that that was a bit uh, in my percep- perception that was a bit ignored or uh, not taken care so much and now i i feel that people realize a bit more again because yeah, tools are spread around. It's a bit messy, uh, sometimes chaos. And then, yeah, to to avoid this, you need uh, some kind of data architecture or modeling. So I, I was always the one when I was working at consultancy firm that, yeah, that was ingrained into me. I had to like, you had like the stage, the cleanse and the core and the data mart. So you always had to do these four layers and then you had to do the transformation in between. And before we even did anything, we always kind of, thought about the, how is the data model, how is the, do we have a star schema or um, do we have a data vault, is that better, why? And so all this discussion, they got a little bit uh, pushed away and uh, more like, it was more like a tool question, um, which is understandable. And But I still believe it needs two, uh, both of them. But first it's to start with a good architecture yeah, because mm. tools are just tools. And uh, if you don't have the right data architecture or model, mm. then uh, it doesn't work so well. So this this tool comes to mind. Makes sense. Uh, makes sense. Um, regarding the first one, so like like you mentioned, um, well, if I ask you about the modern data modern data engineer stack, uh, stack uh, mm-hmm. um, so. Of course, I'm going to ask you about it, but I'm th- I'm still thinking about the, the first one, which is like views and putting everything in, into RAM, and, and the second one, like um, overlooking the like star models, data modeling, and so on, and and, and focusing on tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about um, data mesh. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on that, I'd ask you afterward about data mesh and, and how it fits in, in these big pictures, if it helps or not. Um, mm-hmm. But mainly, could you share about the stack of data engineers, um, like the modern data stack? Like, what is uh, for you the, the best combination of uh, tools or techniques? Yeah. For me, it has like four key components. I'm also a fan of starting small. so. I think for at least four I, you still need, although of course you can also have less, but uh, um, usually you need some kind of data integration. So you need uh, you need to move the data from your uh, OLTP system, like the real or production data into your data warehouse. I still think that's a good pattern to have that you, or data lake or data lake house or whatever you want to call it, but at least you take it out mm-hmm. of your uh, production so you don't... Uh, like a crash the production. So that's mm-hmm. the data integration part. And there you could use, a, obviously, Airbyte as I work there. But uh, there's also new tools that are a bit more lightweight. So sometimes you don't want to have a huge, I think Airbyte is very good if you have uh, big demands, you have a lot of different connections you want to uh, sync to your data warehouse. But uh, let's say if you only have two or three different kinds, so you have an API or you have a a CSV import or a park import, you mm-hmm. don't necessarily need a huge open source tool, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, so there, there you could use, uh, I think one thing I would like to look into a bit more is DLT. So not DBT, but DLT, which is quite mm-hmm. new. And, uh, but it seems to be 
only a CLI and that that integrates well with the next tool is the orchestrator. And people who know me, uh, they know that I am a fan, big fan of Daxter. I used it from the very early days. And uh, it's uh, it's also something I wanted to build at in this Bali place, but uh, I wasn't as smart as them. But now when I see their product, I see, okay, that's actually what I would have wanted to build if I would have known. So uh, I'm a huge fan of this. And I also believe that this is the central piece to actually combine all the, the the chaos or the different tools of the modern data stack, and I or if I use Daxter, I see the integration is so well thought through that it's almost natural to use it as the first tool and then just integrate. So that if you have a data integration CLI and then the orchestrator, you already have quite a lot. So you don't necessarily need DBT. So DBT I would add if I have a lot of SQL. And you want to keep it very easy because taxi can still be very a bit overwhelming for like usual business people who, because you need to know Python, you need to know software best practices. Mm -hmm. So it's quite that jump from SQL to Daxter is still high, I would say. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can build like a YAML framework or whatever <laughs> around so they can, but then they don't get necessarily all the benefits. Mm -hmm. So most cases, probably you would add TBT. And then you need a BI tool, so uh, like Superset or uh, Real Developer is also a nice one that I like a lot because it's. I'm a fan of declarative way of working, meaning you 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 have like YAMLs or you have some kind the KPIs you you write them locally and then you ingest them or you have them as code. So that's the basically the, the instead of having them somewhere hidden in your BI tool, mm -hmm. and uh, you have them somewhere in a file, and then you can like. Uh, do all the nice software engineering, like you can version it, you can like automate it, you can like sync it in other BI tools. So you have all these benefits. And uh, yeah, that, that's also something I would look for. Daxer has that also as well. Um, then you can deploy it on Kubernetes, which also have this, uh, this uh, code first approach. And uh, yeah, I think these four tools I would start with, but yeah, you can always cut even more or then add the data catalog. You can add semantic layers. Also cube uh, is a cool semantic layer that um, it's really great. So if you only need, a, if you have a lot of metrics and you need to fetch data with, uh, let's say an API, with GraphQL, with SQL, with ODBC, all these different, instead of building that all or, uh, yourself, you can just deploy a cube. It has all the, like the uh, inferences or the connections and you can focus on your KPIs and it, it then abstract the way your uh, data lake house or whatever you have behind. You could have uh, uh, at Rode Schwartz, we had like a Druid, that's an all up uh, open source uh, cube, but we also had a database. So you, but the user didn't know that, right? If, it, if he queries with the GraphQL, he doesn't know or doesn't, he also don't need to know what is behind, right? So uh, that's a nice way of abstraction. But yeah, you see, if you add then more and more and more, uh, it gets also more tougher to maintain. And if you have an error in one tool, you need you have an error in on top of an abstraction of an abstraction. So there you always need to be uh, or balance both sides. But mm -hmm. I believe if you start, start small and one by one, then you, you kind of have it under control. And as we said before, like modeling as a first principle, Mm -hmm. then I think it's, yeah, it can only get well. <laughs> uh, 
Awesome. Well, uh, I will definitely look, uh, isolate this passage and uh, I will definitely mm-hmm. listen uh, uh, to it again. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and then like with your book and this passage, I'll, I'll yeah, just if, review if, the, the modern stack, the tool, like how they're good. Yes. If I uh, tell too much or too uh, detailed, just uh, cut me off or tell no, me. No, no, it's perfect. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. Um, so awesome. And all right, I'm going to do a quick question that I know it's it's um, it's not about the tools and so on, but if you're like building an infra, like if you're building something from scratch and you have all the decision making, I know that you, the use cases will impact a lot. But in terms of infra, would you go which uh, with which cloud provider provider uh, would you go if you had to uh, build everything from scratch for um, for like for like any usage, but like. Do you have one favorite that you've been using a lot or more used to, and so, or like, do you think you can you can build no. on on anything? Usually, what I use is Kubernetes, and then you're cloud agnostic, so you can be, uh, basically deploy it on each cloud. So I don't have. Uh, we used BigQuery or Google BigQuery on uh, Airbyte, which I think is maybe one of the easiest the data warehouse. So it's just scale, so you don't need to think a, a lot about. Um, yeah, all like creating an index and uh, perf- like uh, mm-hmm. optimize and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but usually it's also a given. So when I work here in Switzerland, usually it's Azure. So I cannot really choose anyway. Mm-hmm. And Azure has also a lot of great tools. So I, I actually don't have favorites. I, I still try to use open source and then deploy it as with Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. And then I don't mind the cloud provider because it can be anywhere at the end. Mm. But uh, for as a personal project. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I liked BigQuery or, or, Cl- or Google for, for, but yeah, also Snowflake is easy to start when you need a quick mm-hmm. data warehouse. Uh, but uh, yeah, usually I don't mind so much because they do all the same. It's more, uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. And uh, have you like what do you, um, what is your perspective on Delta tables, like the the Delta framework in general? And compare, like comparing the Delta that is open source to Delta in Databricks. Uh, I mean, they released, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Delta Delta frameworks, but they have an, an unreleased code that is like their Delta tables. Um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe fact check that, but uh, mm-hmm. I need to fact check. But like, do you have a point of view, like on how mm-hmm. how it implements and how it compares to? Other frameworks. Uh, I, I use Delta Lake uh, heavily, so I don't, didn't use uh, Hooty and um, Iceberg. But uh, in my understanding, they do uh, the same or similar things, and mm-hmm. also they get like uniform. So I think Hooty just announced uh, something that can convert from each to the other. So um, I really like them because it's basically when you work with the S3 or with unstructured data. It's adding database feature on top of your parquet file, right? Because it, essentially what it is, it's just a folder that has a transaction log, but the data itself is still parquet. So it's mm-hmm. an open format. Mm-hmm. And But you can do things like time travel. You can go back and forward in versions. You can, the, the, the absolutely best thing, you can do SQL. So you can do mm-hmm. the update or even a merge function on top of your distributed files. So mm-hmm. you don't know where your files is, how many. Uh, so it's really... Uh, dealing well with uh, files. So whenever I would use a data lake or a lake house, I would choose one of the formats and mm-hmm. go for it. I also used uh, Delta Lake 
for that reason because otherwise it's you just do it yourself right you need to like load the, the, the files and then kind of uh, make the update yourself so it's really and it's also ASIC compliance so it's a uh, it either fails or succeeds but you don't have this uh, uh, uh what is that uh, states that are not complete or kind of when someone queries only half of the data so you, mm-hmm. you don't need to care about that and uh, I, I believe when you build a lake house or any data platform these days, you need to use a tool like this. And I like it specifically because the, that's the data, right? It's your data from your uh, company. Mm-hmm. And that one shouldn't be uh, like uh, proprietary, proprietary. Sorry, I mm-hmm. cannot. But this uh, it should be like an open format. And um, so you can also share it with other companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe also that's why they are trying to push this so hard because the next step now that we have is it's hard to share data, but when you have an open format, it's it's getting easier and easier to share mm-hmm. instead of always moving the data around. We can just mm-hmm. share a link maybe because it's standardized mm-hmm. and um, hmm. yeah, it has so many. But the, I think the difference between Databricks Delta and the open source is not that big because uh, when I started, of course, Databricks always has some uh, features they don't, uh, it's not open source yet, but yeah, yeah. it's more like they're testing it, right? And then as soon as they're kind of battle tested, you can I see it as a good thing because then they get they get out and you can use it. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, and it's for free, right? So you cannot say mm-hmm. okay, uh, it's not not all yeah. the features are there, but you also don't need to pay. So it's kind of a win-win in my opinion. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that it gets more consolidated, so you don't have to be uh, nowadays. It's kind of uh, which tool which Format do you choose, right? It's a bit a question, but it, from, in my point of view, it's also uh, less. It, it, it's also kind of a given. If you use Azure, they use uh, Delta as well. If you use Snowflake, of course, they use Iceberg and, and so mm-hmm. on, right? So it's mm-hmm. uh, mostly given. Makes sense. Um, I'd like to ask you about, uh, so I'll ask you afterward about like, how do you see this evolving? And I will ask you about LLMs uh, and what roles do they play, like vector base, um, uh, vector source, and like uh, there is a reality where you just have your data lake, uh, you have your lake house or data warehouse behind, and and we'll uh, we'll be soon at a point where you just query with sentences everything and and mm-hmm. and it aligns. Uh, with the agent, so I'll definitely ask you about um, about that. But um, mm-hmm. I'm curious about partitioning or like table optimizations or storage optimizations. Like, do you have mm-hmm. best practices or first principles that you use towards uh, optimizing performance on Lakehouse data warehouse? Like, how do you go about? All right, I'm going to. This is going slow. Um, where do I start to like start making optimizations and so on? Maybe this is a too big of a question, <laughs> but uh, but like, no, do you have some insights, some some tips? I, I think for for the like the data lake part or the delta lake part, it's quite obvious because there I would suggest to to like partition by date anyway. So it's uh, it is just uh, except if you have very small data, then you can also do it by months or weeks or so. Right. When we're saying uh, mm-hmm. low data, are we talking about less than one terabyte, or be, or? Uh, th- yeah, that's always a hard, uh, hard question. How much? But yeah, 
it depends on the data, right? You can have many columns and then it's much more. So, uh, but I, I think yeah. if you have data every, like often a day, but uh, yeah, for sure, I would say probably the uh, Terra above. Yeah, I guess. Mm. But uh, my default is, is like to, yeah, to partition anyway, right? For a daily, because it, it's, even if you have only a couple of, uh, like if you have a lot of data, but only a couple of uh, days or so, it's still, much faster if you if you partition by day and doesn't cost you that much mm. so uh and i was sorry i was wondering uh and this is like m me basically uh like I, i'm not sure so i'm asking you from a uh, not knowing uh, point of view so that maybe you can share with me but um mm -hmm. if i like if i have like some gigabytes like i don't know 50 gigabytes of um uh, of a table And um, and I decide to partition by days, but uh, the users or maybe business people who are going to use it um, are going to like see more. Like are, they are going to do both big big piece of times views and and daily views, and like they are going to have these kinds of filters, maybe mm -hmm. DAX or anything. Um, so would you still partition it by day or? Or would you take a different approach or partitioning at this level won't really impact that much um, the like the queries then mm -hmm. when, when users are, are using it? I think you have different options. Uh, you could, it's also how you query, right? You can use Spark and then it's also much faster because it's like distributed so you can mm -hmm. optimize there. Um, but it also depends of use cases because I, I worked in BI for all my life and mm -hmm. I always had the business user that wanted like seconds or even sub-seconds and you just don't get that from a data lake. So it's a, it's also the data lake, in my opinion, has the, has the advantage that you can just put in all data. You as a data scientist, you can like see all the data, you can like work with them. It's not super fast, but it's okay. And uh, I think also for like a orchestrator or like a batch jobs, it, it's perfect. But mm -hmm. if you really have like business critical, like, or a, a dashboard that someone like wants to drill down and uh, filter by all kinds of dimensions, then I'm usually, or that's also what I built all my life is like, then I add a, a cube on top of it, which is mm -hmm. perfectly made for it, right? That, that stores then the data again in, in memory, mm -hmm. and then it optimizes uh, Yeah, for, for querying. So that's uh, that's these two things. I, I think Data Lake is a good thing to start, but yeah, depending on uh, what you want. I, I know you can optimize also Data Lakes uh, a lot. You also can use Databricks. They have this Photon engine called, mm -hmm. and I think I haven't used that, but that's super fast SQL that directly reads it from mm -hmm. um, Data Lake or their, their Delta format. Mm -hmm. And I think if that works, um out then that's the best or so you don't need this extra layer mm -hmm. and to build a cube and everything which is in some terms quite hard but i don't believe in that because it's just technically it's very hard but uh, if that uh works there's also now a new option is the DuckDB. it's a big hype and but uh, it's really fast if you just you can use it as a as, as an interface sql mm -hmm. layer and then you can just uh, read your data lake and it's Uh, it, it probably won't scale until uh, terabytes, but for for gigabytes of data, I saw demos that are sub seconds. Yeah, so it's it's just your data uh, lake files, and then uh, you use DuckDB, which is a very small library, and then mm -hmm. it's super fast. So that's uh, would be a quick win 
but yeah, at some point you also need to scale then probably you need the, their mother doc. I think they are scaling DocDB or mm -hmm. you need a, like a classical OLAP. That's also why the OLAP cubes, they never die, right? Because you always need subsequence or you have dashboards that just need to be instant mm -hmm. and uh, that you won't get from a data lake in my opinion. Mm. I have so many questions. This is fascinating. <laughs> this is like uh, <laughs> this is like all my problems on a daily basis for my uh, young experience. Like could be solved in one question here. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, solving uh, is harder, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> solving, yeah, solving is my problem. But like uh, like understanding better directions. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen what you mentioned about Databricks, and I've read that it is. Uh, uh, I think it's Photon, like you said, and I think it's mm -hmm. not that much expensive to to like. Um, add it or take this service instead of something else. Um, mm -hmm. Very interesting. I'll definitely read more about it. Coming back to the modern data, data engineer stack. So where do you think that we're going? Like what direction are we taking? Do you believe that uh, there are new concepts that are going to emerge with like new technology, maybe LLMs, or like, do you think uh, those are like the fundamentals, the principles, um, but like, yeah, basically, where do you think the future um, modern stack um, like will look yeah. like? I think sometimes it has a bit of bad reputation because it's uh, so scattered. Or if you see this uh, open data stacks, there's like thousands of tools, right? So it's a bit overwhelming mm -hmm. or uh, very overwhelming. But I believe there, there needs to be some consolidation. So there will be less tools and uh, just the strongest will win. And, um, but still you have many domains and uh, in my opinion, it, it, we just need a tool that integrates with, with most of the tools. You will never be able to integrate in all, but that's where I really see the orchestrator as the key piece that can, because it, it already starts and schedules and manages everything. So it's the best place to, to integrate everything. Right. So, uh, mm. that's where I, I see the future and then. I don't necessarily think there is a uh, new terms on or new things because b besides the uh, AI, I think, but I believe the modern date stack is the best, uh, storage for, uh, AI, right? Because you still mm -hmm. need a uh, clean data, updated data and so mm -hmm. on. So in that terms, um, I see it's still needed. And I, one thing I might add, add is also the, with the. I don't know if that is just my percep perspe perception, but Rust is also like a new modern uh, language. And I believe there's also lots of things in the data engineering space that you can optimize. Or if you really need a fast performant uh, thing, you can just write it in Rust and then add it, uh, write the, like a Python wrapper around, and then you can really solve a lot of problems just by yourself instead of using a heavy tool. So that might also be, maybe a newer approach that instead mm -hmm. of using a, an open source tool that might be uh, too heavy, you could, mm -hmm. for a small scale, you could write something yourself if you have the skills mm -hmm. um, or someone else. So yeah, right. But that, that's, that's, I think, something that I, I always keep an eye on it. And I'm also personally a fan of Rust because it just helps me with uh, uh, everything I always struggle. So I have a lot of runtime errors in the data engineering because it's just hard to test data because they, I don't know, they are... I get them from third parties. I don't know how they look, right? So I, I, it's hard to like uh, test everything, but with Rust, it's easier because it's kind of type-safed and uh, the compiler just checks a lot more than I would check myself. So it's just a generally more tested or battle-tested uh, 
solution. So, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, the, the thing that you said before with, with the vector database, that's also one thing that I think should go, because now AI and LMMs, they, they use their own databases, right? And uh, soon enough, the vector database are not fast enough for the data they read, and then they need another database, and then they need to optimize, they need to start creating index indices, and they need to partition the vector database. And then I'm kind of thinking, okay, shouldn't, haven't we done that already all in data engineering? And then I'm, I'm thinking more that this should be like pushed back to more data engineering work and then integrate in the modern data stack and then just, uh, yeah, use, because otherwise uh, you model again another database, right? Which is, uh, but that's also somewhere I don't have enough experience, but that's something I'm following closely that uh, how can we not build the same again just for AI, right? To don't mm. have these silos. So they, we build mm. different things in different silos. Hmm. Makes sense. I like uh, those um, comments on, on LinkedIn that I see sometimes where people are like making fun of, um, uh, like for example, when I use uh, vector stores like Chroma, Pinecone and so on. And they're saying that it's uh, most of the time it's overkill and I could just use a NumPy array. <laughs> I could just <laughs> use that. And uh, so I like uh, the, um, this kind of jokes, but yeah, it, it is really a, um, really interesting to put everything in perspective and to like, because like you mentioned, the problems that we're, we're facing right now with Victor databases, um, we've solved them. So like, how are those going to integrate or like, but I think like companies like Elasticsearch or Redis, they have their own like big vector stores and they are like very implemented companies. So I'm sure they're working on this already. I'm hmm. sure Airbytes have things on this already. Um, more companies yeah. maybe. I think Airbyte is now pushing the data. They're doing like a push at the end and then they push it directly in these uh, vector databases. Mm. But then who is doing the conversion, right? From the, like your data mart or from your, uh, like from Airbyte to the vector, you, there is some kind of conversion, right? And I, I wouldn't like to have that somewhere inside the tool, right? And that's, that must be an orchestrator, right? Because that kind of logic must be in a, where every other logic is. So this is a, this could be business logic or business relevant. Mm. And then if you move that away um, somewhere, yeah, then we are there where we, where I have started with. And yeah, that's mm. what I would like to avoid. Or maybe you have your, uh, you have like cross data warehouses with vectors stored with like normal values. And then you start like, you have pre-calculated the, the embeddings and, and you just, uh, I believe that normal database, they will also have or already have like vector indices. So they are mm. also kind of building towards this, right? So hopefully we have databases that support both mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. But I'm yeah, sure that, that's also where my knowledge stops. But I, I'm hoping we don't build everything again. That's uh, my wish. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if we do, I'm sure someone will... Um will fix this uh, maybe yeah. some people will start building it again and someone will uh, yeah maybe yourself yourself in a sometimes few years, also natural again. yeah that you just start building something fast that you can do the, your thing and then later you kind of mm. consolidate yeah mm -hmm. totally uh, i mean i i still uh, need to learn uh, a lot about this so yeah definitely we'll look into that um very interesting coming back to your career and your experience uh do you have like key lessons that you've learned uh, on your journey as a writer and as um as a data engineer, like maybe experience that you can share with us, lessons? 
uh, I don't know if that is too high level, but I, I learned that not having everything figured out is kind of uh, the best thing because uh, I read this book from Paul Millard, uh, Pathless Past, and that inspired me to write my own Pathless Past. And then I, I was kind of, actually, I would never have guessed that I I'm a, I will be a writer because I was uh, really bad at writing in uh, in my school. But then I noticed, okay, it's, it's maybe my German. I don't like writing in German, but I, I kind of like writing in English because it's totally different, right? You can can uh, something specify or specifically say something in, in a few words, which in German is more like for poets that you can really write long <laughs> sentences. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't also just be open-minded and uh, because it also make slow steps, right? Because uh, yeah, if you want to know everything from the beginning, that will never work. So uh, follow your passion, learn one thing ahead. And uh, it's, uh, also sometimes you need to learn something to know that you like or don't like it so you cannot know ahead of time that if you uh, uh, i want to dive into the modern data stack and maybe in the beginning you don't know what it is and then you learn and then uh, it's actually not mine and then you pivot there's so many things you can do within only data engineering or uh, ai so it's uh, yeah that's uh, at least and then search a kind of a project for that interests you right if you're into base basketball or uh, snowboarding or whatever search a data set that interests you and uh yeah play around i think that's what i do most of the time i just uh play around and then also use github so uh, i think i didn't do that in the beginning but as soon as i started to mm-hmm. push it to github it, only if it's only for myself it's just uh yeah other will see it you can also build your portfolio if you will mm-hmm. but it, mm-hmm. it also helps you to learn the tools and uh how to work with uh, the yeah it, it, how we work like work with software engineering uh, patterns and so on so it's that's the things I, I probably would have told myself and I would like start again. Hmm. Awesome. I assume it seems like very uh, very good advices. Um, and well, speaking about writing, like how did you start writing? Why? And uh, can you share a bit about? Um, about your writing process and maybe, and is it correlated to the open source patient? Like, could you do like, a, did open source lead you to write or is it two different things and you have a patient for open source and you have a, you're passionate about writing? In the beginning it was separate, but nowadays it's just the same, right? Because my thinking happens while I write. If I don't write it in my second brain or in my note taking app, then it's not really, I'm not thinking. So it's a, I have a very sophisticated way of writing, so but it didn't start that way. So I had, I always noted everything down in my OneNote. So I had ten years worth of notes in OneNote, and um, but that was more like okay, if if I was was in school, then I wrote down what I learned. But in Copenhagen, I just started writing also because I, I was I was familiar with the language English, and then I, I listened more podcasts, I read more books, and then. I, I always heard people are reading, journaling, uh, and the people I most admired, they were writers, and I didn't know why, but uh, somehow this triggered, I, I think it was more subconscious. It was not really, that time it wasn't really, I want to write because they write, but now when I reflect back, it's, uh, I think it was, that was the trigger that, uh, and also I'm, sometimes I'm a bit lost, I'm all over the place, so when I write, I can really uh, organize my thoughts and uh, and that's, I also, after I wrote, I, I really liked it. So I, I found kind of a passion and people, 
if you share something for free, because when you write, you just publish and then you share it and then people appreciate, right? Even if it's not the best, but they will appreciate because you give it for free. And that was always, uh, that was the main motivator for me. I also didn't write often, so I didn't force myself to write every week or uh, I just, when I, I used it more as a fun, fun for myself because I liked it and uh, to learn. So my day, uh, one of my uh, principles is that I want to learn something every day. And by writing it down, I, I also like kind of uh, uh, no, also don't forget it. And um, I can connect it then to other things I already learned. And then that way I learn even more. And then I can write about. And then you get this feedback loop where people read it and they give you feedback that you haven't thought about. So you can then integrate that again. And if you do that, like over two, three years, you, you have so many insights you would never have had if you just write for yourself or if you don't even write at all, right? Then, uh, because the more I, I also learned that our brain or my brain is not made for remembering. So it's like, it's so sad when I read a book or if I have an insight and then it just gets lost. So it's uh, nowadays, that's why I call it the second brain because you have, it's like, even if I go to the doctor and he tells me something, I write it in my second brain, which is just a note app. But because next time I go to the doctor, I don't even know what he told me, right? But then I can, I know it better than him and it's also okay because it's my health, right? So it's like, but this is like for every everything, for data engineering, I do that for my family, for my kids. Mm. So whenever I need to do anything, I just write it down. But then the magic happens with Obsidian that you can kind of connect them. And then uh, sometimes I uh, I read something, I put it in and then I I just leave it there for five years. And then five years later, I find this note and then this inspires me to write something completely different I have, would never have come up with just on the spot, right? So right. it's really magical. Uh, it's almost hard to explain, but uh, but that's only that's actually way later because uh, first I just started writing, but now I also write in, in that the connected way, which I think my writing just gets better because I have way more insights than if I would just start from a blank page because mm -hmm. I never start actually from blank. I have... I have a wealth of information. My second brain is full, so I could write about maybe 20, 30, 40 different things right now because I have so many things, right? And mm -hmm. yeah, and then uh, then also the book came up and that's, yeah, that, that was then just a, I always had the idea to write a book, but I never knew when. And then my former boss told, ah, you can do that next year. And then I was kind of overwhelmed, but then I said, oh, okay, let's try. And that, that was then the start of the, writing more organized. So my idea is to now put all my 20 years of experience in a book that, uh, but much more organized, right? Not in single. Some of them I already wrote as a single blog post, but now I would like to be doing them a bit more combined. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing. I'm going to ask you about the second brain uh, right away. I'd like to ask <laughs> you uh, on the book. So why can people learn in the book? Like, uh, so of course you're writing about data engineering, but do you have some insights on on what you're sharing there and like what can people expect reading it? Yeah, as I said before, the the actually the starting point was that I always heard new terms in, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and whatever. And then I thought, if I dig deeper, it was actually something that was already existing since mm -hmm. ten years, and that was the starting point for the book. So um, I call it repeated terms which is not so sexy, but then my former boss told me about this uh, convergent evolution uh, 
term and uh, that really uh, captivated me and uh, this is a sense i don't know have you heard of convergent evolution before no i haven't okay me neither so uh, it was like uh, but the explanation of it is like a bird and a bee they both fly but the the bee has a skeleton and the bird has a feather so they have to- totally different evolutions they have the same goal they can both fly but they have They've gone through different times. I don't know the evolution when they, but mm-hmm. they, they, they were not simultaneously, and uh, that that's the that's the key point of my book. So I, I'm now the convergent evolution is like a materialized view, and then I, I search like uh, okay DBT, and then I, I this I find these uh, terms within data engineering, and then I compare them, find patterns, and um, see because they they have been through different evolution as well, right? And then uh, I will see if they both have the same pattern, like flying. Uh, and then based on that, I would like to have like uh, best practices, which would then be the uh, design pattern. So my book is about data engineering design patterns. And uh, I haven't figured them out yet all. I have some ideas, but the goal is also through the writing that uh, that I can explore them. And that's also what excites me because I, I don't know them all yet, but while writing, sometimes I find a new one. And, and it's so, uh, that's really the, makes me happy to write because uh yeah it's i'm also doing it a, a bit different way i will probably publish in one or two months and it's like an unfinished book as a web version everything for free um which then slowly slowly involved i also hope to get a lot of feedback and uh, especially terms that i haven't thought of or and then that i can integrate them and uh yeah, that's the, and then maybe one year ahead, or I I might print the physical book, but yeah, you never know, I don't, or I don't know yet if that that's the plan. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I just start one by one, and uh, yeah, the second brain essentially is the f- the feel or the fuel because I have there uh, many things I already journaled about and things that uh, I thought is like similar or patterns I explored. So uh, yeah, that's. Uh, helping me to to write the book that's impressive <laughs> and you might like because it feels like like you know compound like compounding effect it mm-hmm. feels like you're writing this book right now it's not like 20 years of experience it's 20 years but what the work that you're doing and the research plus the second brand that you, that allows you to, it's like like 40 years or 60 years because like yeah. <laughs> it just gives so much compounding effect just to be able to come back to all those concepts and having all those notes and uh, being able to dive deeper because you're in the process of writing this book mm-hmm. uh, this is a uh, very impressive uh, yeah. where can people read it so it's open source can, where can people uh, look at it and give feedbacks and so on it's already uh, the, the domain is already there so it's DEDP for data engineering design patterns.online. Or you can also go data engineering design patterns.com. It's a bit long. That's why I took also a short one. DEDP.online. Awesome. Which is, uh, but it's for now it's empty, but uh, it's already uh, like an intro and zone is there. But uh, mm. very soon it will be uh, much more there. Yeah. Awesome. So um, you heard, you heard it. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's uh, there. Uh, and you'll have all the secrets to data engineering <laughs> open sourced. Um, so I'd like to ask you about the second brain. We've uh, we've discussed second brain. Uh, we've heard you share about the second brain. 
um, your second brain uh, at some times uh, in this episode. So, like, what is it? Um, I mean, I think we kind of have an idea of uh, what's the second brain. And uh, I think, like, many people are talking about how powerful it is and, like, how crazy uh, it can help productivity and so on. So can you share about the concept behind it and, like, what tool, you, what tool do you use? How does it work? And, like, how does it serve you on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. In a very simple term, it's just a note-taking app. But the difference, in my opinion, is that you have one app that you store everything. Because what happened to me before is when, if I had some insights, uh, I put it in Keeple, uh, Google Keep, or I put it in OneNote, or should I put it uh, email myself? Or so I didn't have really a place where I was sure I uh, I will see it later again. So the first thing, in my opinion, is to you need to have a tool or or a a place it could also be like uh, paper right if you had to have that always with you you could uh, but that was the first thing and um, i kind of like second brain the cons or the name because it's it's not only about work or about uh, what you do but it's also in life right so uh, if you have a as i said before if you do something personally or also what i learned through that it's also much in life it's just our life is connected, right? You cannot be here on work and here on, on life and they're completely different. So they're, most of the thoughts you have in, in person sometimes also uh, connect to the, the, like the work life mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. the sports life or how many lives you have. And uh, that's, that's then a bit more special for the tool you use. I use now Obsidian, which is kind of the VS code for notes. And uh, instead of having folders, you use more like connected nodes. So the way I use it, I have atomic nodes. So whenever I have an idea, instead of putting it somewhere in a folder, I find it, I just make sure the title is something I will search later on. And then I directly connect it to something I know. So if I learn, uh, I think uh, in, in, in the way of AI, there was a, there's now RRG racks. I didn't know what it is. So I just put it in and then I connected it to something I knew and then I already knew half of the thing, right? Or sometimes I write, okay, this term is the same as this. So I already know 80% without even having heard of that term before. Mm -hmm. So that's then the, the magic of that, but also the finding, because sometimes if I might search this podcast now with, and I have some notes, I might remind your name, but I don't find the, what was the name of the note. So I just go on your name and then from there I have a backlink to the notes. So it's, and that's actually how our brain works. So it's like connected. So I don't need to, I find my things very easy. I very rarely use uh, folders. I just always uh, search. And because it's locally, Obsidian is, is kind of local markdown files. And then you, it's so, so fast because it cannot get fast. It's just text, right? Mm -hmm. And um, also one thing I like is markdown. So uh, it's, uh, it's also future-proof. You don't put it somewhere in a tool that uh, you don't get it. I had it in OneNote, so I was burned there or I felt the pain because it was so hard to get it out. I had to export it as HTML and then I had mm -hmm. to kind of convert it to a Markdown and that was like a lot of scripting and Python coding mm -hmm. and it was very hard. And at the end, it was still not perfect, right? Because it's just a format that cannot be converted easily. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's... Uh, but on top of that, I also use like Motions, which is uh, I use everywhere for writing. So... Uh, that's, I use that in, uh, in coding and in writing. So in case you haven't heard of it, it's like more, 
Um, instead of using uh, shift control n to mark everything to the end, we have all the shortcuts uh, like on the keyboard and that just makes you a very fast writer or a coder. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, it's a steep learning curve, but it's, if you work eight hours a day, I think it's really worth like exploring it. If you like, it can also be, you don't like it, but for me, when I learned that it blew my mind because that's what I was searching for, but I didn't know it existed. So, um, so you said Vim notions, Vim motions, brother. Vim motions, you know, it's, uh, there's this editor called Vim, which is a uh, quite ancient and, uh, yeah, you, but you don't need to use that, but you should use the motions or how, how you move. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the cool thing is when you start it up, it will not write. It, it's just all shortcuts. So you need to press I, and then it's the same as every editor. But the, the default is like a normal mode, and it's actually all short. So every key on your keyboard is a shortcut instead of writing. So that's a bit mm -hmm. scary in the beginning. <laughs> but like, uh, why do I even know? <laughs> You know, and then, and then you need to restart your computer because you cannot edit anymore. So that's the meme about that. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, it's really, yeah. It, there's also plugin for every editor. Even uh, Gmail has the shortcuts of Vim. Like if you want to go down, it's like J. If you want to go up, it's K. So it's all, all the tools or the, I think Superhuman is one of the best email clients. You pay like $30 uh, a month, so it's really expensive. But what they do is just having very fast shortcuts, which are inspired mm -hmm. by Vim again. So it's mm -hmm. if you learn the Vim key bindings, you can be fast almost in every tool. And it, it's, it's not really about fast. It's also about the mental overhead. So mm -hmm. when I think, I don't need to think, oh, I need now to go to the end, and then I need to... I can really write in the speed of thought. And uh, of course... The more I practice, the more I use it, the faster I get, which in other mm -hmm. terminals, you're just at some point you're, uh, you're at a, you cannot get faster, right? Because you don't have right. any shortcuts anymore yeah, to jump like, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and you said it's for code too, like to write code, you, you use it too. Yes. I, there's a newer version called NeoVim. And uh, yeah, first I started with Visual Studio Code and then I just added the plugin Vim. And at some point I went full. Uh, NeoVim and uh, yeah, I use it so now. No well. more VS Code, no more VS Code, just directly. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Since, yeah, sometimes the only thing I didn't figure out yet, but probably could, is uh, when I need to replace search, replace in a whole folder. I like to see it before, and then I use sometimes Visual Studio Code, but mm -hmm. it's all very rare I use that. But uh, mm -hmm. most of the time, mm -hmm. it's just uh, Vim, yeah, makes sense. Very impressive. I've heard that Superhuman is more like uh. Flex in like successful entrepreneurs, like you have this scent from superhuman, and like I've I've heard some jokes around that, but um, uh, I didn't know it came from from this uh like uh, Vim thing where, where... Uh, that that's my interpretation. I don't know if they had the same, but when I I had a I could use it at Airbyte, and then uh, yeah, for me it was just it was natural. I didn't have a I, I used like one minute, and then I knew everything because the shortcuts were one to one like Vim, but of course yeah. the implementation. I think they also have like the the responsive, they have a super fast responsive time mm. and that's their key, right? So that, of course, they need to implement that as a web app, mm. but the, I think the way it works and also the search and everything is like key. The shortcuts are probably uh, stolen, no, or <laughs> copied from Vim, yeah. huh. which is a good thing. I think. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Amazing. Uh, so we're, we're running a, a bit out of time, but I have some some questions um, that I wanted to ask you. It is um, 
not that related, but kind of. So you mentioned before that you're a pretty busy person. You're doing many things. Uh, your goal is to be full-time uh, independent author, which is awesome. Um, you have also your family uh, and so on. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, you, you, you're a minimalist and stoicist also. <laughs> Uh, or at least you are inspired by those philosophies and thinking, um, uh, thinking currents. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you like to, to share a bit further on this and how it impacts uh, your day-to-day and, and how you see um, your journey, either career or as a, as a human being? I think the stoicism was something I explored through when I was living abroad, right? Because I had a lot of time. I didn't have many friends because I was in a new country. So I started learning or listening more books. And um, then I think Tim Ferriss also, uh, I have it from him. So he had a lot of guests who talk about it. And then I just started the 365 daily habits or stoic habits. Uh, I, I, I'm blanking on the name, but something like that. And mm-hmm. then it's basically... What's that like? Hmm? What does that look like? It's from Ryan Holiday, and it's like uh, you have like a, a text or something for every day. So it has uh, 365 for every day. You can read one, and uh, yeah. So, so so there, I it really spoke to me because it's kind of the or the biggest thing that I learned from there is that you cannot control or that you shouldn't be mad about things you cannot control, right? If it's bad weather, you shouldn't be sad the whole day just because it rains because you cannot change it anyway and yeah, just this kind of philosophies really uh, help me also as a human being and just uh, at work and everywhere, right? I get, I think I got more calmer, and uh, it's also a practice. So it's kind of a med- It's co- even called meditation, I think, because you you kind of meditate while you're reading. You kind of reading it every day, and then you train it. You meditate, and you, it gets more ingrained into you, and you just do it mm-hmm. out of habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say it's also a bit. Uh, Stoics are a bit. Uh, dead people right because it's kind they're so they don't celebrate the highs and the lows because if you celebrate the highs so much then you also need to be very sad when you have lows so mm. they say it's more like um just be happy in every moment right right now in the present so that's mm-hmm. one thing uh, i take from or i really took from there and uh, helped me kind of as a human being and uh, close to that is also the minimalism is more i don't apply it that strong but I try to apply it to work and writing. So I stripped out every word, every uh, every tag, everything I don't need just to mm-hmm. be more succinct. It's also something I learned from Derek Sivers. He's like a, like an entrepreneur who writes a lot of good stuff, which I really admire. And uh, besides that, he also have like hell no, hell yeah or no. So say no, that's also one thing I apply a lot to my thing. I, I say no to almost all things, except if I'm really excited about and that gives me a lot of time because uh, I, I say no to most of the thing. And then when I say yes, I'm quite excited to do it. And um, also usually you get a better um, opportunity instead of if you just take the first one, right? So and uh, with this in mind and also with uh, stripping away everything, it's not needed. You also add more values to the reader in my pers- or uh, in my writings, but also with coding, if you have less code, uh, you less maintenance, less. Uh, so, um, but also in life, I try to value whenever I buy something. Do I really need this, or can I sell? Uh, I try to sell my motorbike 
that I can buy a race bike. But now I bought the bike already, but the motorbike is still on sale. So uh, I'm still I'm still trying to sell. But yeah, so but just having that in mind. So not the uh, uh, yeah. I also have kids and family, so I don't uh, uh, can don't have everything. But also be mindful. And uh, I think minimalism is a good thing. I don't need. I don't think you need to have only one spoon and one fork and whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> if you just have the concept in mind, uh, or at least that's what I like to do with everything I do, then it helps me also to focus on the most important things. Hmm, that's awesome. Um, I really like um, uh, all these kind of um, of uh, ways of thinking that improves your day-to-day and i really like this idea of your um your mental discipline is what allows you to be more present and more happy on a daily basis and when i say happy i mean uh with a calmer mind and more attentive to little things Mm -hmm. and having more fun in general because i'm more present in a way mm-hmm, totally. uh, and so 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 i love this uh, and i love those uh, insights um awesome we've done many topics on these episodes <laughs> i'm super curious to know what um uh, uh what uh, everyone who is listening think about all these topics the value added uh, if they've checked your book so let us know i have three more questions um uh, of uh, value first of all uh quickly the languages in data engineer and right now from your perspective you said rust python sql um by spark i mean spark we could put uh, scala or spark do you have more that comes in mind um i tried uh, <laughs> yeah i just uh, played around with julia and uh, some exotic languages but more for fun just to get some mm-hmm. uh, uh, inspiration and also um what is the name uh, lisp language what is the the very oh it, it's like a functional programming and then uh is it mojo no no it's uh i no, uh, never mind but it it's like actually helped me to think in the pipelines because this list function was everything was almost like pipelines and yeah. it's, it was like an orchestrator but it was a language so, uh, yeah, that, that one. Uh, mm. But at the end of the day, I think uh, SQL is still the the biggest one when you work in data. And then, of course, Python is the language of of data engineering. And Rust is uh, yeah, it's coming up. But yeah, uh, in my opinion, it will be used heavily. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, some say Python. But for sure, Python will stay forever, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, Awesome. Yeah. Um, so three little questions that I have in the end. First uh, is um, trying to provide uh, the most value to any, to everyone listening, uh, myself included. What tips or lessons you could share for anyone who is either advanced or be or or just getting started in the field of data engineering? Like, do you have you shared some advice before, but do you have more? Do you have tips? Mm. I, I think uh, stay curious, try try things out. Also, sometimes get a job that doesn't pay as good, but just that you can learn. Like, um, yeah. Uh, also, you just net, need to get started, right? Because sometimes, uh, yes, saying what you need to do is quite easy, but uh, starting is is the hard part. 
but um, sometimes I also feel a bit bad or sad for or bad for people because they think they need to know all of these things. But I have now worked in BI first, and then data engineering just got started, right? So I was just there when it started, and it's kind of uh, similar to BI. So it, it's a bit unfair then to expect the same knowledge from others, right? So I, I would be uh, kind of uh, be patient and uh, yeah, also like find a mentor or someone who can, or for me, it, I always search people who inspire me and then I try to do the same. So I also like Max Borschmi, who was like uh, starting uh, Airflow and uh, Superset. He was a super writer. He kind of basically wrote the first data engineering principles. And I just got so much inspired by him that I, also try to kind of write about BI and uh, try to write principles. And uh, I think if you have people you admire, then you can also uh, just imitate them. Uh, you don't need to tell them, but you can just try to imitate. Nobody will know. And uh, yeah, it's also easier than, than just uh, figuring out everything yourself. You just try to do similar things. And uh, yes. It's also easy to say, but uh, start sharing because uh, sharing uh, for sure the first, uh, my first blogs were very bad. And still, when I read my blogs, I think uh, so many gra for <laughs> so many grammatical errors and there is things wrong. And, uh, but uh, sometimes it's also good to share and then like optimize or, or rework or, but uh, yeah, just don't be shy to not share or also one advice which is maybe one of the biggest, start your own blog or at least have your own domain. Because uh, if you use LinkedIn or Medium or Substack, I'm a big uh, proponent of having your personal website because first of all, you have your own style and people get to know you just by going on your website. But second, you you also don't lose your work, right? Because uh, my work is also quite good because I compound it over time, as, as you <laughs> said before. And uh, this is when you have a different... If you need to change every five years the platform, you and you always lose. Of course, you can sometimes export it, but it doesn't work every time easy. But if you have your own domain, and then you can still share on the other platform, but do a like a canonical link to your own domain, so that will be ranked in Google. But I think that is one of my biggest advantage as well that I just had from very early on. I had my website, and uh, you don't need to be a, a web developer or anything like this, but. Uh, uh, I also get passionate about the website, so that's also one thing I like. So that's maybe advantage for me as well. But uh, there's also very you can also have a Substack and just uh, register your domain, right? So it's still yours, and uh, you don't lose the when you switch. You can just you still have the same domain or URL, but uh, you don't lose that as well. And uh, yeah, at least when you're into writing, but. <laughs> In any case, writing is good for everyone, I believe, even if you if nobody reads, if it's just for you. And uh, yeah, do that's why also I like to journal and uh, for myself only. And yeah, please start writing. <laughs> we <laughs> awesome. need more writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I believe that this is like, I really like this comparison. I mean, you said so many things that are... Um, uh, it gives me a lot of ideas, but I really like this comparison of uh, um, like, can I do like simple math addition in my head? Yes. Can I do complex uh, calculus like multiplication and divisions with like digits and, and so on? Well, at some point it 
can get complicated, but on paper I can. And so mm-hmm. if I do the same thing with my thoughts, like mm, the same approach, I mean, my thoughts will be, will have the same limitations as uh, me calculating in my head. And so if I put them down, I have way better understanding of the bigger picture and I can do better calculations with thinking than than what I'm doing um, just on top mm-hmm. of my head. Uh, and w- w- one huge advantage as well, because if you write it down, if somebody disturb you or if you need to go somewhere else, you can just, I can now much easier context switch also with my kid when she interrupts me or so, because I have written it down and also the peace of mind because you have written it down. You don't always need to think about, right? It's like the getting things done uh, thing that you need to write it down. Mm. So it doesn't bother your brain. So you don't need, sometimes you are awake in bed and always thinking about one thing, but if you just write it down in, mm-hmm. but you need to have a place, but if you have that yeah. place and write it down, it's kind of your mind calms down and you can also have a calmer life just by, it sounds ridiculous, but just by writing it down and, uh, so you bre- basically you're uh, tricking your brain. You're just writing it down. Maybe you don't find it anymore, but at least your brain is calm because it knows it's yeah. it's safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I've heard like people who have like multiple journal, and one journal is just like for before going to bed, just for the next day. And what mm-hmm. I like to do is like writing my five priorities of next days when I mm-hmm. finish working, because I know exactly what I need to do tomorrow. And so if I put it right now down. Then maybe I'll remember something that I forgot on that moment, but I just need to add it to this piece of paper that I have and I know where it is. And I know that tomorrow mm-hmm. when I will like reset my brain, I'll be like, all right, what was um, on my to-do? And, and yeah, I just... You also save yourself uh, brain power because you only have limited amount of uh, brain mm-hmm. power. And if you mm-hmm. use half of it just to remember what you did yesterday and where have you been? And uh, if you have that done the day before, when it's like just there anyway, mm-hmm. then you also saved a lot of... Uh, uh, brain power yeah and that's basically what the second brain is because whenever i write if i read i write it directly down right it doesn't take me much more time because i have i'm used to it and uh, but it saves me so much time down the road right so mm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a little bit similar awesome uh thanks a lot for all this advice um where can people know more about you so you mentioned uh your domain it will be in the description uh people can look at the book you mentioned your linkedin um where people can know more about you uh do you have a newsletter if i'm not mistaken like do you have more things to share with people where they can follow you or reach out uh, and so on it's everything on my website so it's ssp.sh so it's uh, there is everything that's uh, like the newsletter and all my socials but i try to put everything there there's also my second brain my book will be linked there obviously and uh, yeah everything awesome. I just changed the domain so it's shorter, so hopefully people can remember better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Um, Awesome. And last question. Do you have one message for the Let's Talk AI community? Anyone who's listening until the end, by the way, thank you for supporting uh, the podcast. Uh, This is a 51 episode, and so a big milestone. on my range, of course, <laughs> you, you look yeah, at the Lex Freeman. Pro- <laughs> Thank you. You look at the Lex Freeman podcast. He's like over four hundred or something. Um, but uh, like maybe uh, one tip is yeah. not comparing to others and like mm-hmm. just comparing to me a month or a year ago. Those are like some maybe basic, like basic self development things. And I know like some people are like, ah, but I really believe in those things. And I believe that the key is like implementing things and thoughts. Maybe you can react on that, but um, so super happy about that. Uh, And I want to thank you again for coming on the show and uh, 
do you have a message uh, message to like summarize it can be professionally data engineering your website and so on any message mm. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, I, I really like your podcast and uh, the way you do it like I really uh, I like deep conversation that's also why I like to talk to you because we I really have the time and uh, yeah I, I think maybe one last message is uh, read the book Thinking Fast and Slow from Dan Daniel Kahneman I think because it's as you said sometimes you get overwhelmed but if you just do things slowly right it, it's also going into the thing of slow uh, slow productivity. So instead of trying to do everything, I, I need to have now 200 episodes. And then when you have 200, you need 500. And just uh, do it slow, but with passion. That's always my mantra. And I think, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the quality sometimes is also better for me when I spend more time on something, but I don't have the quantity so often. So... Uh, But yeah, it doesn't work for everyone and everyone is different. But uh, I like to to be slow and think about and uh, think through and uh, yeah, try to get or push as much value as I can by sharing. And uh, I, I like to not share too often, but more uh, deep. Yeah, that's uh, maybe also a message that people can try to do. So. For that, you can also uh, read the Carl Newport. I think that's also a good book, like Slow Productivity, which comes out soon. And uh, yeah, read books. Maybe that's another thing because I learned so much just by reading books or I don't read them, but I listen to them. So uh, Audible is my friend. Uh, yeah, I think books sometimes are also more calm. So when you read news online, it's like so chaos and every every hour, every minute. If you just read books, they are distilled over years and older Usually the better they are and uh, yeah, don't get too overwhelmed. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Well, thanks for your kind words first uh, and uh, thanks for those amazing messages. I had an amazing time um, and I wish you to, to have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much, Thomas. Congrats. You've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.